This is the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. Kyle, you doing anything cool this week? This week? Yeah. It's a rhetorical Uh, question. Rhetorical. No, I'm no, I I'm doing a podcast with you. That's all I got, man. This is my life. I'm going to Kansas City. I'm going to Kansas City. Oh, nice. Yeah, you know the place where they don't barbecue. Yeah. Here's where you asked me, am I doing anything cool this week? Oh, let me, oh, let me re- do we need to restart? No, nah, we don't need to. No. Johnny, hey, what are you, what are you doing this week? Oh, not much, man. I'm going to work. Uh, I know where this, this is going. Agency. You might've heard of it. It's called NASA. NASA. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even see that coming. Oh, uh, yeah, me and Ben will awesome. be working with NASA this mm-hmm. week, so. You enjoy Kansas City, man. It's yeah, literally city. like 20 minutes from where I grew up. Like, hey, literally. I'll, like right I'll go say hi you to your family. You guys want to drive by the house? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the directions. Yeah. Johnson Space Center, Clear Lake, they, Texas. They shoot rockets into asteroids and things like that. So uh, Yeah, they just yeah. we just did that, didn't we? Yeah, so I'm going to. I'm going to ask them if they want me to analyze some of that, you know, data yeah. that they have from that while I'm there. I'm so. sure they'll, I'm sure they'll definitely want your input on that. There's right. no well, doubt. I'll, I'll take pictures. Me. Maybe I can get you a t-shirt while I'm there. All yeah, right, thanks. Now. Yeah, that'd be great. One of those white ones with the pocket, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, there. Yeah. You need that pocket yeah. protector. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we're going to roll into our podcast guest here. Um, did, did, you know, uh, I don't know if you knew this. I played soccer you know, growing up, that was my main sport. It broke my dad's heart. Cause I didn't play, fo- I played football, but I was better at soccer. And so, uh, i made a semi-pro team when I was in high school and my coach was German and he taught me German. Okay. Bad coaches. Yeah. Bad coaches. Okay. And, uh, the only thing he taught me was one word though. It was Scheisse Johnny. <laughs> Get Johnny. All the time. Oh. Shit, Johnny. Shit, Johnny. Shit, Johnny. He was a pretty good. Um, he was a good <laughs> coach. But today we have one of the nicest Germans I've ever met. Nicest person I've ever met. Um, Dr. Hey, I mean, I mean, Alex, I'm dude, every time I, I'm hanging with Alex, I'm full of like sunshine. He's, he's like the nicest, happiest person in the world. Uh, so. well, <laughs> we have definitely we have, got that vibe already. So that's yeah, cool. yeah, he's awesome, man. So uh, we have Dr. Alex Franz on. Uh, he's he's a, a good friend of mine. Now you guys are, are getting to meet. We just hung out in France uh, in Lyon this summer, which was amazing. He's he's better than I am, man, because we went to dinner, maybe had quite a few drinks and I'm, we're all leaving and Alex is like, come on, we're going to the club. And yeah. it was like 11. It was an hour past my bedtime. So I just stumbled <laughs> home and went out. So did you guys end up going to the club, Alex, that night? It was a good night. It was a good oh, night. Oh, yeah. Look yeah. at you, man. The beer is the beer's good in France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had way too many. Way too many. But uh, Alex, I'm, I'm just going to go straight into his bio. So Alex Franz is an orthopedic surgeon and a sports scientist from the University Hospital of Bonn in Germany. His research fields include pre, peri, and post-operative muscle preservation in the clinical setting, as well as molecular biological mechanisms of hypertrophy and atrophy development. Furthermore, Mr. Franz is intensely researching the underlying mechanisms of blood flow restriction training and its applicability effects in safety in professional sports and patient populations. So this freaking guy, not only, you know, is he like, yeah, I'm just like, turning out all this badass BFR research, you know, on the side, he's just like, ah, I'm an orthopedic surgeon as well. So that's, yeah. that's a, that's a yeah. one, two punch. So 
Alex. And then everybody's shocked. <laughs> we're just shrinking back into our holes now. Yeah, Alex. I know. Like, yeah. what the hell have we done, man? <laughs> Alex, thank welcome, you. man. Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. It's an honor for me to be here. Yeah, and Scheiße uh, yeah. Johnny. Scheiße Johnny? That needs so to be our new intro to the podcast. That's, yeah. <laughs> we'll sell t-shirts that just say Scheiße Johnny on it. We have to, we have to make this beep now. <laughs> yeah. Scheiße Johnny, like beep Johnny. Yeah. We're going to lose our clean podcast rating. <laughs> I think we already lost that. <laughs> yeah, right. Long time. Yeah. <laughs> So Alex, um, take us through kind of your background. What got you into orthopedics and then what got you as an orthopedic surgeon to start studying blood flow restriction? Um, yeah, my, my tour starts in 2011. Um, after my school education, I started to do sports science at the German Sport University Cologne. Um, and during my, my bachelor's study, I, I was uh, meeting a guy, Professor Beringer, um, and he introduced me to the sports science research. And it was not really a plan to do to, to be a researcher sometime, but it was so much fun. And so I started to do some, yeah, first studies, just small ones. And yeah, after my um, after my bachelor, I said, okay, now you have done sports science, and this was quite fun. But now you have to do something serious, um, especially uh, if you want to be, yeah, a big a big one in the research society, especially if you want to be the first one on the paper or the last one or um, especially if you want to work with patient populations. And so I decided to do also this medical part. And yeah, and seven years later, um, I'm now, yeah, working as a, as a doctor here at the University Hospital in Bonn. Um, and I'm very happy to yeah, have done a lot of research about blood flow restriction, um, about the effect on skeletal muscle, especially skeletal muscle hypertrophy, because a lot of my patients are receiving a lot of muscle atrophy because of their illness or during our hospitalized uh, the hospitalized time. And yeah, so uh, hopefully we can increase their muscle health sometime by using the right techniques. That's the goal later in life. <laughs> and it's awesome too. So you have a sports science background and, and, you know, some of your work is, is even looked at that, you know, we're going to talk about IPC for eccentric contractions, but it's also cool because your focus is primarily on total joints, right? As a surgeon. Uh, yes, because it's, it's one of the most standardized operations um, in the orthopedics. Um, if you see the ACLs, for example, as well. Um, but I think that especially the uh, patient population, which is receiving a total joint, like total hip, totally, um, has, we, we can have a lot of impact on these patients if we use the right techniques pre or post-operatively, because of course, ACL rehab is, um, we can increase it and we can, we can modify it, but um, it's normally, they are quite fit guys uh, or fit females, which uh, which is getting an ACL um, ACL. Um, but the the thing is with with um, if you if you see your mother, if you see your grandmother, which is receiving a total joint because of pain, and you know how the the muscle atrophy is working over years, and so I thought we can do more good to this kind of patients if we if we do good research on them to prepare muscle and also to, to preserve muscle during the hospitalized state. 
So yeah, we, we spoke at the Bologna conference together virtually, but um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was you did a, a slide on there when you were talking about total joints, which I, I thought was really interesting, where you know, you stated it's one of the most standardized and most successful surgeries, but the outcomes aren't really as great as we think they might be. They're they're good, but then you 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 cited quite a bit of data with preoperatively how poor the muscle is postoperatively. Yeah, it, it was quite interesting because in uh, I think in 2015 I was talking to my former chief Professor Tilkins about how we can improve the the uh, clinical outcomes after total joint because uh, the the implants are, are highly standardized the whole op- operative procedure it's like 45 minutes for a knee uh, sometimes 30 minutes for a hip it's you cannot be faster anymore. Um, then also the rehabilitation protocol in Germany is quite standardized. It's, it's really highly effective, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And if you look on the length of hospital stay, if you look on the pain afterwards, everything is good. But if you go deeper into the details on, on skeletal muscle, you see that the muscle atrophy, which is already evident before the surgery, it's also evident afterwards. And one of the, there was one study um, uh, which showed that three years after after a, t- a total knee joint, you have or you have still a, re- a significant reduced muscle mass three years after your total joint, and your contralateral leg is also significantly reduced in muscle mass and strength. And I was a little bit shocked about that because we say, okay, that's the gold standard if you have an arthrosis and osteoarthritis of the knee or of the hip. And if you look three years later, we have improve the pain perception yes but the whole rest the skeletal muscle is still in a bad condition and i thought okay this could not be the gold standard or you cannot pronounce it like that yeah it's it's fascinating and i love your perspective from coming at this you know of looking at not only is it you know post-surgical that you know you start to see these things happen but these patients are coming in like this already at times as well, decreased quad strength, decreased muscle mass. And so, you know, your, your clinical research kind of spectrum is you look, you're looking at things from a prehab perspective. Is there something that you can also do perioperatively to maybe, you know, fight against the insult of, of the tourniquet and the surgery and then postoperatively. And so I, that's, that's a beautiful spectrum. And, and I'd like to get into, cause you wrote a really great hypothesis paper on ischemic preconditioning, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm tooting your horn here, brother. On ischemic <laughs> preconditioning and how it might limit muscle damage, um, and, and and specifically a sports science side kind of thing of you know eccentric muscle damage, but then also that the eccentric muscle damage that we see from contractions is similar to ischemic pre uh, ischemic reperfusion injury. So if you if you can kind of touch base on on eccentric muscle damage and how it is similar to ischemic reperfusion injuries, even telling our listeners what ischemic reperfusion injuries are. And, and then kind of let's lead into, after you talk about that, that the paper that you did looking at IPC with eccentrics. Um, yeah, the, the basic idea um, to that point was um, we see muscle damage, of course, after eccentric exercise. And we see also muscle damage after, after total joint, if we use tourniquets, for example, during the surgery. And so we thought, okay, um, maybe there are some some ways which are which are maybe the same um, if we look on muscle damage and yeah if you look deeper into the physiology of the muscle you see that of course the in the induction of the muscle damage is maybe different because on the one hand we have a mechanical part 
which has mm, which is um, increasing muscle, the, the stiffness of the muscle and then also some muscle cells are getting damaged um, and on the other hand we have an first an ischemic part which is more a metabolic um, a metabolic uh, advantage for the for the muscle metabolic stress which is then resulting into um, an energy supply problem and which introducing a muscle cell swelling and afterwards we have also kind of a damage but if you look further um, after this induction of stress you see that the uh, inflammatory response is quite the same because the body has not the opinion to say like okay i'm doing a specificized uh, inflammatory response here and on ischemic uh, in, in context of reperfusion i'm doing something different because the body is working in the same manner all the time and so we thought okay maybe the induction is different but the but the, the sequence which is coming afterwards is quite the same. Um, and so we thought, okay, what is, what is possible and how we can reduce muscle damage on the one side or on the other one? And um, we thought, okay, of course, we can prepare the muscle because we see it in, in context of um, muscle preparation on, on exercises, on eccentric exercises. Um, that if you're doing exercises before or if you're doing the same kind of stress before, the muscle is reacting in, in a total different manner. And we thought, okay, maybe we can prepare the muscle on, on context of this ischemic preconditioning if we're using an ischemic preconditioning-like effect. And of course, we are not able to do like ischemic all the time to the legs of our patients. This is not possible. And then I came in touch with the blood flow restriction exercise or with the blood flow restriction idea and thought, okay, we have a patient which is not able to lift high loads because of the pain, which is not really able to do a, another kind of hypertrophy training. And he is kind of closed to an ischemic reperfusion injury or stress, which is coming up to his leg if he's getting into the surgery. And so we thought, okay, maybe we can bring this together to introduce them to an exercise stimulus, which is nearly closed to the stress which is coming during the surgery and of course able to improve muscle mass right before the surgery and so we looked a little bit into the molecular mechanisms and said okay maybe we can prepare the muscle um, for example in context of metabolic um, adaptations if we get the muscle used to ischemic stress or metabolic stress um, through blood flow restriction maybe he's able to um, correspond in a better way during the surgery. Um, maybe we can also modify the inflammatory response during the surgery if the muscle and also the, the whole body is getting used to this kind of stress. And um, yeah, we tried it and it worked. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> um, of course, there are, there are two, two reasons why it should work. Of course, if we prepare the muscle in front of a surgery um, in context of like a better in, better out effect, um, the patient has more muscle strength, no more muscle mass. And we know that if you're getting more prepared in such a surgery, you will increase or recover faster afterwards. Um, but all prehab studies before didn't show this kind of result. They showed all that we were able to improve preoperative value or preoperative mass and strength, but not the postoperative one. Um, and blood flow restriction was the first prehabilitation technique which was able to increase pre and post, and significantly pre and post. 
So I think that we were able to induce some kind of resistance effects into the skeletal muscle tissue, which yeah then enables the muscle to respond better to this ischemic preconditioning, uh, this, this ischemia and hyperfusion injury, hopefully. <laughs> so looking at the, the actual study where you did bicep curls uh, yeah. with IPC. So yeah. just so we can understand the protocol, it was 80% one rep max eccentric bicep curls, right? Yeah. Uh, one, one funny story. Um, I, was, I, was, I have done this study with Ken Nozaka from Australia. Uh, he's, uh, I think, the most famous guy in eccentric exercises. And yeah. I was coming from Perth, from his, uh, from his lab, coming back to Germany, starting doing this, this medical study. And all my friends putting them together, come on, let's do a study with biceps curls. It's getting fun. And we were looking at the protocol. And the first protocol was, uh, <laughs> was um, 110% of the one rep max, six Ooh. sets with 10 repetitions. Jesus, <laughs> you took your arm out for three weeks. So, so, so it was, it, it was proved by not only me, it was Professor Beringer, Professor Nozaka, and also the ethical committee. <laughs> we said, yeah, this is a quite good idea. And we said, okay, we know from, from studies from ischemic preconditioning that we can reduce ischemia reperfusion injury. And I just wanted to have a look on, okay, maybe it's also working in muscle uh, in, in eccentric exercises because if i if i postulate that it's the same kind of um the same kind of process if the damage is induced so maybe it has also an impact on eccentric exercise and we did this kind of protocol and yeah we had some not so brilliant results afterwards <laughs> it was the, there's also a study out with uh, where uh, young Frieda Hamsen is the first author about muscle damage um, we had CK values about 86,000 <laughs> units per liter. Um, the guys- Everybody's after, pissing brown. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had some serial problems afterwards because the guys are coming in. We're not able to extend the arm totally afterwards. <laughs> and measurements 10 days afterwards showed that we damaged so much muscle that we lost two centimeters of circumference of the upper arm. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. So we actually, we, we damaged muscle totally. <laughs> wow. Um, but, but the good thing was, okay, ischemic preconditioning is not working if the stimulus is too high. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So well, we okay, I, I think we'll make sure no one does 110 of their one rep max for six sets. Um, it's, it's, that, that's understandable. The, the interesting thing is after these sets on the, on the exercise day, everybody was totally happy. And we think like, okay, maybe the stimulus was not high enough because nobody has kind of pain. Everybody was quite happy. Like, oh, it was hard, but totally fine. And on the next day, everybody was totally damaged. Yeah. <laughs> Checking into the ER with their CK values. Yeah, okay, so, so you we, took it down to 80% of yeah, the one hour. So, so we modified it. And um, yeah, we, we did with, uh, I think, 80% uh, of the yeah. one rep max. And then, uh, yeah, three times. <laughs> it was it was enough because we we saw uh, the effect that we hypothesized. Um, we saw that by using just a, just a step back though, you did IPC three rounds for five minutes. The typical kind of IPC protocol. Yep. Before yep. the eccentric exercise. Yeah, directly. So before. You had the the controls were doing heavy, no no IPC or a sham, and then yep. the 
the IPC group got IPC at basically 100% occlusion. Yep. Yeah, and, okay. uh, yeah, actually, it, it worked. Um, so we were able to significantly reduce the muscle damage afterwards, also the pain and also the muscle swelling afterwards. And this was an, an, yeah, a hint for me to say, okay, if this technique is working in the clinical part, the ischemic uh, preconditioning and the surgic exercises here, maybe we can put these worlds together. Um, yeah. Because in my opinion, a lot of research findings from the sports scientific world could be help the medical world to mm -hmm. to improve the care of patients but i i see it a lot of times that these worlds of the medical area and the sports scientific area are not really connected to each other and not talk to each other yeah. and um yeah we want we want here in bonn we want to change that yeah to do yeah. It's, it's just it's quite simple just just to bring the techniques from the sports scientific world in our hospital in our surgical room uh yeah and i think that we are able to improve the therapy of our patient with that yeah and this is you know steven showed this twice as steven patterson our friend who was also with us in france you know he has two papers now that that show this reduction in, in muscle, muscle damage and improved strength and, and improved VAS. Um, your, your CK values were significant, like significantly lower. Um, yeah. at basically like every time point. So you had baseline, what you had 24, 48, 72 hours later yeah. and blood draws looking at muscle damage were significantly down. Um, and, and this has been shown by, I'm, I'm blanking on the other guy in, in England, Kyle, that, that did the sprint one. Um, but that, you know, multiple papers now have shown this IPC protocol really yeah. blunts the creatine kinase mm -hmm. as well as these indirect markers, which is fantastic. Yeah. But, what we, EAS. Look, yeah, but what we have to look now is um, how the effect of the hypertrophy training is maybe reduced by ischemic preconditioning. Yeah. Because we know from, from cold water immersion studies, for example, that it's also mm -hmm. reducing the acute muscle damage, but it also reduces the response or the effects of the hypertrophy training later on. Right. So in, in, in uh, cold water immersion, we see we have not these kinds of in enhancements in muscle strength and mass after a six-week or eight-week protocol. And because of the reduction of the inflammatory response. And uh, I think that by ischemic precondition, we're doing quite the same. We are modifying the inflammatory response. And it's getting not too endogenous heavy. But the problem is maybe we need kind of these mechanisms yeah. to reach our goal. Well, muscle mass and, strength. And, and I think it's from a sports science perspective, this wouldn't be a training kind of technique. It would be more of a in-season game technique, you know? Yeah. Okay. If, if I have less muscle damage because we did this prior to a game, who cares about the hypertrophy response at that point? It's just, I need to get my strength back quicker. But, you know, the rest of the time you're doing everything you can to just maybe induce some of that muscle damage in, in the buildup to the season, right? Uh, I, I know I know one one uh, funny um, response from a, from a team coach in alpine skiing in Germany because he also practiced skiing preconditioning before the the tournament and they are sitting all with with their with their contracts uh, in in one room and the these guys are putting these funny kids around and the coach said it's it's okay if it's not working but the other guys are looking so strange to us so there is a psychological effect <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. for sure all right whatever 100 <laughs> percent. 
I was going to chime in. I I think, you know, the other kind of piece that we didn't quite touch on yet uh, is, you know, we really don't know metabolically in the muscle what's happening during say resistance exercise or aerobic exercise with BFR versus IPC. And and are they kind of really ultimately creating a similar environment? Um, You know, and, and, and does that repeated exposure to BFR exercise really kind of elicit the same effect as, as IPC at some level and modifying that inflammatory response and that sort of thing. So I feel like there's that kind of that other layer there. Um, And you guys touched on that a little bit in that, um, invasive catheterization study, Dr. Franz, where you were talking kind of clinically, the muscle looks a certain way. These ion bases have changed and maybe we're able to kind of manipulate those um, yeah. through. You're totally right, Cal. Um, I, I had a little bit the problem by a lot of this research that we see just un- indirect markers of what's happening to the muscle yeah. and what's happening to the body. And so we thought, okay, how we can improve maybe the, the outcome um, of, our, of our hypothesis. And so we started to do a little crazy study actually, because uh, we took 10, 10 healthy uh, sports scientists uh, or sports scientist students and used <laughs> Plus one orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, we did uh, intravascular measurements um, of the exercising arm. So we did an arterial catheter in the arteria brachialis um, and also um, a venous catheter in the venosa dorsale manus on the back of the hand. Um, and so we were able to measure the, the blood pressure inside the arterial system and inside the venous, um, the venous system really located in the exercising arm, not indirectly by using tourniquets or, some, uh, or something, but really in the vessel. And of course, we were able to measure blood gas analysis and also muscle damage markers directly in the arm. And yeah, the results were, were absolutely amazing. So we did basically protocol, 30, uh, the first set protocol and 30 repetitions uh, in the first set and then three times 15. Um, we did a crossover study. So all the guys are coming twice to overlap. Um, in the first row, randomized with or without blood flow restriction and then 30% of the one repetition max unilateral biceps curls. And um yeah, the, the first thing that we saw is that no subject was able to lift all 75 reps with BFR. It was not possible for them. We had this kind of 30-second rest in between uh, the sets. Um, there was enough for us to, to took the blood gas analysis. And if we look on the, on the results afterwards, there was the... Um, it shows why it was not possible because we see lactate uh, responses from eight minimal... Uh, per liter in, in the BFR group in comparison to about two or three sometimes. And I know that the highest score was 18 minimals of lactate in the exercising arm, if you look in the venous part. And of course, this is a huge metabolic response, which is actually bad. That's crazy. Um, yeah, this is, this is totally crazy. And, um, but it shows a little bit that if we're using blood flow restriction, the, we are playing with the physiology. <clears throat> And, and this is one of the of the biggest things that I would like that everybody which is using blood flow restriction has to understand that if you're using this technique, you are changing the normal physiological working mechanisms in the body. Because 
this kind of stress, the body knows just in pathological conditions. This is not a normal stress which happens sometimes and we can use it. If you use blood flow restriction, you're changing the metabolic working mechanisms and you have to understand that you're playing with the physiology. And this is especially important if you start working with, for example, cardiovascular affected patients or something, because something can happen because you try to modify everything there. And if you, if you look on these lactate responses, this is absolutely huge. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, almost like a, a trauma type situation. If you come with, with this value into my emergency room, you will be in our clinic hospitalized and you get a lot of fluid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luckily, when you had the reperfusion from cuff deflation, that did you deflate and see how quickly that response went down? Uh, we, we just looked five minutes afterwards and we saw that the results are quite normal then. Okay. Um, and also the, the, um, the sodium and the potassium levels are changed to, to baseline in five minutes, which is okay. But we thought, okay, what's, what's happening if you're working, for example, with a cardiovascular affected patient, no, it's like a heart insufficiency or, or coronary heart disease or something like this. You're working both legs, blood flow restriction, a lot of muscle is working there. You are um, inducing a high metabolic um, demanding situation. You have a lot of lactate, you have a lot of um, potassium and sodium, which is, which is going outside of the muscle into the, into the uh, vessel system. And then you're doing, you open the cuff and everything is running in the systemic condition. And of course, the heart can be affected by that. Yeah. Uh, once, if you if you um, decrease both legs to the same time, because so much blood volume is coming back to the heart, that this is, could be a problem first, and then the ionic situation as well. And so, if you work with patients or if you work with affected uh, uh, subjects, you have to think about okay, what will I do? Uh, what I'm doing there, and you have to understand that you're playing with the physiology. This is for me a really important part. Um, Maybe this is also because of the medical point of view. Yeah, no, it, you're seeing people with multiple comorbidities. And I don't think a lot of people think about what the effect of, of that reperfusion is with the, such a high metabolic load. And then also, I mean, on your point, people are like, well, I want bilateral, I want bilateral. And, and you know, if you're looking at a post, a, a clinical patient, you know, unilateral is probably more than enough for this person. If yeah. you want to do the other leg, switch over, but. You know, from your work, you're putting a really high demand on them when you're doing both limbs. Yeah, you're, good, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> and an interesting thing is we um, already finished the study now where we did the same thing again. Um, <laughs> and we, we, we thought uh, we found 10 new guys <laughs> which were interested to do this. No, crazy stuff. <laughs> um, and we did it again because some of the reviewers um, responded to our study like, okay, you you are not comparing uh, the same kind of exercises because, of course, we were not able to finish 75 repetitions if we use BFR, but 75 repetitions without BFR was quite easy. Mm -hmm. So the comparison was maybe not the best. And so we said, okay, then we will do another round um, where we compare low load, low load BFR and high load exercise. Four sets all out during every set, one minute of rest in between. And then let's look how the muscle or how the body is reacting if we start to, if we try to make an 
fatigue protocol there. So effort, and, effort match, basically. Yeah. Like everybody's yeah. kind of going to the same effort level. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was also crossed over. So uh, crossed over design. So we Ooh. were able to, <laughs> yeah, three, three times etheric cadigas. It was a play. Did you, did you space them out four weeks like you did in this also? So, uh, yeah, four, four to six weeks. Yeah. Six so that takes a while just to get. Yeah. Freaking yeah, the, the artery has has to recover after that. Um, yeah, and um, it's, it's it's quite funny that the ethical committee said yes to this study. Actually, yeah. um, <laughs> but we did it again. Um, the uh, I'm writing actually the paper now, um, nice. and we see the same results. Actually, if you look on the metabolic demand, and also of course the workload is quite different. If you compare the the yeah. load, if you if you make sets multiplies with the with the weight and doing uh doing other repetitions you see yep. significant differences that the bfr trial is has significantly lower amount of, of of work in comparison to low intensity and high intensity this was quite even actually um i know that my my first set with uh, with the biceps curls in in the all out condition was 93 repetitions Wow. Nice. Um, until I was so exhausted that I have to that I was not able to lift it again. So there was ninety. I think the record was one hundred and seven or something like this. And wow. um, yeah, it, it's funny because if you're doing two seconds concentric, two seconds eccentric, you are doing five to six minutes just one unilateral biceps curl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jesus. Um, but but if you look later on the metabolic responses, it's quite even. So we see the mm -hmm. same amount of lactate. We see the uh, same amount of rising in, in sodium and potassium. We see the same rise in in um, partial pressure of oxygen and CO two. It was really quite the same. So if we really start doing exercise to muscle of fatigue, which is able to induce hypertrophy effects, it's totally equal what you're doing because if you're using high intensity, low intensity to, to fatigue or blood flow restriction, the, the, the physiological response at the end measured in the exercising arm is the same. Yeah, just much lower workload. BFR just yeah. gets you there quicker. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's, uh, I think it's the first time that you see the physiological responses are the same and BFR, as you said, Johnny, it's just a quicker way yeah. to yeah. go there. You, you also um, looked at, I, I don't even know if you would call it a hemodynamic response, I guess, but you know, what the, what the blood pressure response is within the artery yeah. as well. What yeah. would you see? Um, <clears throat> you, you see, as a, in, in low intensity, of course, the, the blood pressure is not rising that high, but if you compare the blood flow restriction and the high, uh, high intensity exercises, you are quite the same. We measured not every every exercise or not every um, repetition. We measured every ten seconds, and then we'll do the <clears throat> the median of that, and um, it was quite the same actually. Um, but what is of course interesting is if you look at the venous part, uh, if you look yeah. on the venous hypertension, because um, as we measured before in the first study, we saw an increase of of the systolic uh, of the pressure of the venous pressure about eighty millimeters uh, mmHg, and if you if you look on the standing uh, on the standing person, you have a pressure of about thirty in the in the hanging arm and a pressure about eighty at the ankle. If you're on a standing position, if you're doing now, for example, quads and standing position, doing quads with blood flow restriction, you rise this pressure of eighty in the venous system at the ankle of about one hundred sixty to two hundred. 
So you have a huge hypertension in the venous system, which of course can have some effects later on on the venous function. And so we also did now a study, which is also now finished, um, about the effects if you're using uh, unilateral leg extension exercise. Um, Those there was pictures no look miserable. Yeah, send me that power. You guys look like you the pictures? yeah. You send me some pictures <laughs> with the catheters in your between your toes and trying to do leg extensions yeah. with yeah. VSR. So, so we said, okay, we do not need an ethereal catheter there, but we put a venous catheter at, at the, at the uh, back of the foot um, to also have measurements here right in the exercising extremity. And yeah, we did some some venous um, some venous functional parameters of venous functional tests before and after. Um, this is called flebodynamometry. Um, actually, you're doing few raises. And in a normal physiological condition of the venous system, you see a decrease in the pressure because the muscle is working and is pressuring the blood upwards. Mm -hmm. and so the pressure in the venous system is going down. And if you stop doing exercise, the pressure is rising again because it's getting fulfilled. Uh, the, the, yep. fill, uh, the, the venous system is filled back. And um, this is the normal condition. And we measured it now before and after these kind of exercises. And we saw actually in young, healthy patients, no effects. Um, so for a young population, which is, um, which is normally healthy, we see that we have no acute bad effects on the venous system if you're using blood soldiers exercise. Um, we did this because we want now to um, upgrade this research on specific patient populations and also on um, venous affected patients because um, if you have a venous valve dysfunction, for example, maybe blood flow restriction is not the best way for you to, to do exercise because it can maybe enhance the problem. Or maybe if the venous system is not so young anymore, maybe it's getting also affected by this. Um, so therefore we did this now in the first study, which young guys, uh, this is quite fine. And now we will increase this idea to different ages and different populations. Okay, interesting. So I have, can I tell you a funny venous story? Has a little bit of color here. So we have this patient um, years back in our clinic and he, he comes over to me out of nowhere and he is like, hey, uh, Jennifer, she said, I needed to come tell you about what happened to my leg. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you see how I got like these little spider veins, these varicosities on this one leg. And I was like, yeah, he goes, well, I used to have them over on this other leg, but we've been doing BFR on that leg and they went away. And I went, that's okay. interesting. And he was like, and, and I was like, man, I don't, I don't know what really to say about that. I don't have any kind of conjecture. It's not something I've heard. I said, but I, the one thing I do need you to do is as you leave, just like stop by the front desk because there's an extra charge for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he thought, he thought it was so that. serious. <laughs> he was like, oh, you suck. But uh, yeah, those are funny. And I don't know. I mean, you know, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense why that would happen, but at least I can't come up with a reason. But but actually, we don't we don't know what's happening in funny. the muscle, actually. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is... But it's, it's, it's a good story. I have to tell this to, to my patients. Maybe they are then more Maybe they'll buy in. Yeah. 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 Get rid of their varicosities. There you go. 
Well, you at your institution, you guys have adopted BFR um, in your total joints very early. Um, am yep. I right on that? Yeah. And is there, you know, knowing that it seems safe on the Venus system in younger, we're not sure in older, do you have, do you have any safety concerns? We get a lot of questions like, when can I start this with a total yeah. joint? Um, yeah. so what, what are your thoughts and how you guys have instituted it? Um, so we, we have now, uh, prepared two studies in the university hospital of Bonn. And, uh, one of them is in total joints where we use it post-operatively. Um, for example, um, we start at day one. Day one after surgery, uh, we put the tourniquets around, doing pressure uh, of 80%, um, and have a look on the uh, muscle atrophy afterwards because we want to reduce it. Um, actually, the, the only thing which is uncomfortable for the patients is the LOP measurement before. The 80% of pressure we're doing in <clears throat> interval training, like we're training both legs because we know that during hospitalization, both legs will lose muscle mass. Yeah. Um, so we want to uh, train both legs. And during the exercise, we're doing five minutes per leg and then six times in unilaterally interval times. Um, we see no any problem. Uh, we see no problems, and the the comfort of the patient is quite is quite good. Um, interestingly, I I saw one patient which was using blood flow restriction during their range of motion training because she said that if she start training the flexion, she it hurts. Said okay, it was day three after surgery. Of course, it can hurt. And then she started doing it by using the pressure. She said, and now I feel no pain anymore. And she was doing a, a flexion till 90 degrees. And before it was like 30. Wow. So um, not just because of, of to, to prepare the muscle or to, to maintain muscle mass. Maybe it's also good to train in total joints, the mobility afterwards. Because I don't know what's happening because we know about these hypoagesia effects which is BFR inducing, but it works. And a lot of patients now, which has problems by using, uh, by the range of motion therapy um, through our physiotherapists are now using blood flow restriction to improve the range of motion therapy. Yeah, we, we've had the same anecdote and actually they have a study in a, and I think it's gonna maybe show this as well. Range wasn't one of their primary outcomes, but um, with ACLs at Memorial Herman here in Houston, same thing yeah. you know, that they, when they were working on range, if, if they did it with the tourniquet on, it seemed to, to, to help them get there easier. Yeah. I, actually, I, I don't know what, how this can happen in such an acute manner because yeah. um, of course it, it modifies something, but modifications on spine level take some time and it's not working in, in yeah. the directly in the moment. Um, but it, it's, it's really successful. Starting at day one post-op is, is pretty incredible. Um, now I, need to, I should have sent my mother-in-law. She had a total knee this year out there to Germany. So y'all could do it on her because um, she, she was bitching two weeks post-op when I was trying to get her to, to start. It. So, um, you know, our biggest question really is tolerance. And it sounds like everyone's tolerating it pretty well in your study. Um, but the, the big one too is the incision. You know, a lot of, a lot of docs are really nervous about the incision with the total joint. Um, I always tell them if actually, but actually what should happen? Yeah, really, because, because think about it. If you look on the wound healing, what should happen if you use five minutes of Venus block? Because 
if, if you're doing the surgery and you you closed the wound and if you have closed it in a good manner <laughs> so what should happen if you use a venous block um, I discussed that with my chief because you all said, okay, well, to which time do you want to start? And I said, yeah, they, I, I would like to start during the surgical day. <laughs> this was my initially idea. And he said like, ah, I don't know, then I have pain. And maybe, maybe what, what is about day three or four? I said, okay, now then day one. And we discussed that and said like, okay, what should happen? We know that this thromboembolism idea is not there because we see so many meta-analysis and we see so many clinical studies now, which is showing that there's no adverse effects on that. There's more this fibrinolytic effect, which is working. Um, pain reduction, we know that is a hypoalgesia effect. Maybe we can reduce the amount of, of painkillers, yeah. which we are using, of, of opioid use, for example. Um, wound healing, we know that is, these metabolic phases of venous occlusion, energy supply is changing, is helping bone tissue, is helping wound tissue to heal because the functional hyperemia, which then is coming, maybe is more promoting wound healing actually. Mm -hmm. And if you have done the close of the wound in a good manner, what should happen actually? If you have done a bad closure, yeah, then you have a problem, but then you have a serious problem to all situations. Yeah. But what should happen? And so we de we decide, okay, let's do it. And no issues at all. <laughs> no, no <laughs> issues. Nothing. All right, Kyle. So when someone says their doctor won't let them do it, post-total joint, we'll just say, well, ask your doctor if they're a crappy uh, at doing their suture techniques. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but but give, me, give me a really good, a, a, a good reason why I should not do this. Yeah, and I, I yeah. really, I've, I've, I've thought about it, and I, I, we discussed that in our clinic with our, uh, with our, uh, with our chief. We looked at the literature, and we didn't find one reason which is really evident enough to say, okay, we are not, we are, cannot do it. I think yeah. they always just fall back on, well, two things. One is, well, the swelling might put some stress on the incision, but again, it's like you know, there's swelling already. It's not going right. to change that much, and then. The, yeah. the dumb comment typically is, oh, hypoxia. It's going to, you know, the wound's not going to heal because of hypoxia because you got five minutes of yeah, subocclusive arterial. You know, and afterwards, and if, if and you get an angiogenic. The funny, thing is, the funny thing is, if you look on the on the arterial part and the venous part of the, of the uh, vascular system and you're using blood flow restriction, um, you see enhancements in the hemoglobin content in the arterial part. Right. And also the oxygen saturation is rising in the arterial part yep. because the muscle is getting affected. It's getting trained by this metabolic stimulus. Of course, you have a venous blockage. So the oxygen is not coming into the capillary system because it's blocked there. It's blocked back into the arterial ones. But in that time, if you remove the cuff, you have more oxygen, which is coming there. And we know that we have some, some effects on the hormonal effects that on, on vascular endothelial growth factor, for example. So whatever damage to the soft tissue we did in the surgery, I think that by using blood flow restriction, we enhance the repair mechanisms afterwards. Mm. I don't think that we negatively affect them. I think we positively affect them because we know that the body then is reacting in a good manner. 
This is my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense. You have a trial that is looking at post-op right now, day one? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one, one with total knees and another one in uh, spine surgery <clears throat> after spondylolisthesis. Um, the idea is, on the one hand, we have an, they have um, spine surgery patients also receive a lot of muscle um, muscle loss after surgery because uh, they are quite um, the mobility is reduced during the first seven to ten days if everything is working normally. Um, and so we wanted to have a look what is happening on the wound because in total knee we have the wound distal of the cuff. And in spine surgery, we have to the we have the wound proximal of the cuff, so we can have a look. Okay, what is happening there, and can we increase the effects, or do we have an adverse effect on the wound healing? Um, I hypothesize there's nothing happens. Maybe it's getting better, um, but so we want to check this. Um, we are now a little bit uh, in a discussion how we can do it in total hips because. Um, you have to decide which approach we are doing. We are doing the anterolateral one. And uh, if you're using the cuff there, you can affect the wound. And this, of course, is going to induce pain. And then the compliance of the patient to the technique is reduced. So we are thinking to using glossal switching on the contralateral leg to increase the stimulus there a little bit or to train at the first day the contralateral one. But we are in a discussion about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the contralateral leg gets ignored anyway. So get any stimulus on there and, and we, you know, there is a possible crossover effect. Yeah. yeah. The other limb, as long as they yeah. use and this, And this is such a good, good um, example for that, because from sports scientific point of view, we know that there is a contralateral effect. There is a crossover. Yeah. And if you say this into a conference of medical doctors, they said like, oh, what's that? <laughs> This is one of the biggest things where the medical area can learn from the sports scientific ones because we know you do not have to train the extremity which is injured. You can also train the contralateral one. You can also train the arms if you want. Yeah. But you can induce helpful effects if you train something in the body which has not been the injured leg. And uh, in the morning, we had a big, um, every morning, we, we all sitting together looking at the, at the day, what is happening in the surgical room, uh, how many people are there. Um, and then we have like a, a small discussion, a small presentation of one of our doctors. And one was doing a presentation about um, healthy food in the hospital. And of course, our food is not healthy anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think in all hospitals in the world, the food is not healthy. And the, he presented a study about the effects of essential amino acids. If you putting them into the normal diet of a patient during the hospitalization, you can reduce the amount of muscle atrophy and you can also reduce um, adverse effects from the surgical point of view and also from, <clears throat> from their comorbidities. And again, it's, it's just saying, if you look a little bit how the metabolism is working, and if you look a little bit how we can prepare and maintain skeletal muscle. Yeah. You and can increase the health of your patients and you can reduce your post-operative complications. And it's not hard to do. No, it's no, not really hard no, to the do. The bar's so low at that point. Yeah, yeah. You know? but That's then the, the big question uh, in, in, a, in, in the afternoon, like, oh, your surgery was, was 30 minutes too long. I said, no, the problem is before and after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, short times is good, but if you prepare it before and doing a good therapy afterwards, you can 
have a better effect, then you can also doing a surgery 30 minutes longer. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's kind of like ACLs, you know, it's, you know, looking where the graft placement is, you know, if it's a millimeter over this way or that way, what's the difference? And then. Yeah. But no muscle to move the joint. Yeah. And then they go back with a 70% quad. It's like, it, I don't think your graft even mattered at that point, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Totally. It's correct. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I, I had a question, Dr. Franz on the, um, on the intervals that y'all are starting on day one, I'm assuming it's just basically inflate deflate. You're not actually doing exercise. And then are you kind of progressing to some sort of BFR exercise at some point or. Yeah. During this study, we were, we are just using the blood flow restriction stimulus because um, I wanted to know, okay, what is happening if we just using this, this um, yeah. Ischemic hypoxia and reperfusion effects. Um, but we want to improve the, uh, to modify the protocol, I think in January or February next year to include also electrical stimulation afterwards. In my opinion, to do good research, you have just to, you have to set one stimulus after the next. So the first stimulus. <laughs> I, I, you just, I just am going to be happy the rest of the day for you saying that. <laughs> Not like 18 was- different freaking outcomes, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah, the, the, problem is, the problem is if you're doing a study where you took electric stimulation, eccentric exercise, blood flow yeah. and a beautiful woman which is working behind you, <laughs> you have a lot of effects. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we want, yeah. but if you do, we want to really to do good research. We have first to think about okay, what is happening to my patient, to the clinical outcome if we just use metabolic stimulus. That's the right. first question. And after this, if we know okay what's happening there, and we are doing a normal intervention and the control group. Control group is a sham BFR exercise because we want to reduce the bias, of course. And then the next step is to implement also electrical stimulation because then I have also to build up a group which has which just received electrical stimulation to see the effects over here. So I'm in my opinion, you have to do small steps to get the right decision yeah. and the right opinion afterwards. And gotta lay the I, foundation I really to build appreciate build that you like this idea, Kyle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do. I really do. Yeah. Well, and, and also I, I like your approach, Alex, where you put out a paper explaining your hypothesis. That seems mm-hmm. to be your style. Um, and you, you know, from prehab to, um, you know, IPC for eccentrics and you, you kind of lay out, this is our thought. You don't kind of keep this a secret. And then the next one is like, okay, we're going to go see if this works or not. And you do the study. And I always think that's a great, and then you can also cite yourself in your second paper. Which is my <laughs> yes, of course. It was a, was a really good thing. Yeah. Donnie loves the self citation. I'm, I'm a yeah, as, 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 a, as a as a young uh, scientist, it's it's quite cool to say, okay, it was done by France at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I really I got one review who said like, okay, there are also other studies. Is <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> that not good? No, I'm fine. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. No, well, but uh, I think I think if we want to do good research, we have to discuss with all researchers in the world. And so it's it's not helpful yeah. if I don't show my 
bad results, my good results, or my ideas. And of course, everybody can have another opinion to say like, okay, friends, you're you're telling totally shit. This is totally fine, but then just come here, discuss it with me, and tell me why. Right. <laughs> and then everything is okay. And so um, everybody who has questions is free to to ask me. Is is free to to call me. Um, because therefore we are scientists actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's roll into your prehab study a little bit deeper that, that just published this summer in Frontiers. So six weeks, twice a week, blood flow restriction cycling um, in total knee patients or doing the same exercises without um, or a control group that just did nothing, which you called standard of care, which is basically the standard of care in, in the U.S., as well do nothing in germany as well <laughs> yeah yeah so can you go into that study because it's it's got a long so a couple things it's very clinically easy from the way you did it to your measurements um you know it's not some okay you got to have a highfalutin t3 mri to do this sort of thing and also you looked six months out um so we're seeing some long-term changes so can, can you elaborate on that study um, yeah, the, the, um, this study arises by um, a discussion with my former chief, Professor Tilkins, which uh, is doing a lot of endo, uh, endoprothesis on hip and knee. And he said, like, okay, I would like to increase the outcome. We said, okay, um, the surgical time is good. We have not lot blood loss. Um, the rehabilitation is good. Let's do a prehabilitation thing. And then let's do a study with that. And so we discussed, okay, um, if we have patients with uh, with a gonophrosis, what can we do? And every patient, and really I talked with a lot of them, every patient is able to do cycling exercise because they like it. It's not hurting so much. And if you're using the right intensity, everybody is able to do it. And so we said, okay, um, let's start slowly. Let's start with a cycling exercise by an individual intensity. It was measured by the heart rate reserve. Um, and doing a, a small step test. Uh, and it was about 80 watts or something like this around, uh, if you look through, through all patients. And then we said, okay, we're doing now blood flow restriction on it. And I it was one of my first studies, which I started. And I was a little bit, yeah, I wanted to be safe that all the patients are finishing the study. And so I started, okay, let's do just 40% of pressure, which a lot of other authors said, okay, this is too less. And I think Johnny also would say that you need more pressure if you want to have the good results. If you can have lower, I'll take it. <laughs> and um, what we saw is that by using 40% of pressure, um, we see also significantly effects. If you, uh, we looked on the lactate responses, for example, in front of the exercise and afterwards, and we saw a lactate of six systemically by using 80 watts, 50 minutes long. So it was... It was not really heavy for the patients, but you saw a metabolic response. They did it twice a week, 50 minutes. Um, we trained both legs uh, and we just using unilaterally uh, blood restriction application. So first the, the left leg was um, has done uh, blood restriction, then a small rest, then the right one. And then we repeated this three times. In the rest, minutes. they were still spinning for that four yeah, minutes. Yes. So yeah. had, okay. Yeah. Four minutes right leg, four minutes rest, spin, four minutes yeah. left leg. Um, you did that three for three rounds, yeah. right? Three, three, three rounds. Sets. Okay, exactly. Exactly. got it. Um, so it was quite simple. 
Um, it was easy to do for the patients. We received no adverse effects on it. We had no patient which was not finishing the study. And it was quite simple to implement an active control group with sham BFR, which has just the tourniquets around by a pressure of 20, just that they're not falling down. Um, and then we measure in, in front of the surgery, uh, as in front of the prehabilitation phase, then after three weeks of prehabilitation, after six weeks, and then three months and six months after the, um, after the surgery. We also measured the hospitalized time, the first seven days, uh, which is wow. now, which I'm writing now the paper on, but the idea is a little bit different than on the muscle mass and muscle strength parameters. And so we decided to split these kind of ideas. Um, yeah, and what we saw is um, normally if you do prehabilitation without blood flow switching, you see enhancements before the surgery, but you see the normal typical course of muscle strength and muscle mass after surgery. So we have a decline, we have a, a rising muscle atrophy, we have problems in neuromuscular activation, and so also problems by, by um, inducing muscle strength. And so we see the reductions afterwards. And if you look at our control group, for example, which received no prehabilitation at all, you saw these kind of course. We saw reductions significantly in comparison to baseline. Um, if you're using just recycling ones, we saw also enhancements before the pre, uh, before surgery. We saw enhancements in muscle strength and also a little bit in muscle mass, but postoperatively we saw no changes at all. So the effect was okay, but this was not beneficial postoperatively. And then we looked at our blood flow restriction group, and it was massive because they improved their muscle strength about 120 percent, I guess. Um, it was a six repetition maximum test on a, uh, on a unilateral leg extension exercise. So it was quite hard for them and it was also painful for them, but it was 120% of the starting strength. Um, we measured the uh, circumference of the, of the thigh um, to, il to illustrate a little bit the muscle mass, uh, or the muscle hypertrophy. Um, of course, it's not the best measurement tool but using MRIs is quite expensive. You need, you need to get the time slots for that. And if you're working on a university hospital, you have not the possibility to say, okay, this is my study MRI where I'm just doing my research on BFR. This is not possible. Yeah. Um, we have discussed that with, with, with the reviewers before because they said like, okay, it's not the gold standard. And I say that the Clinical therapy is also not gold standard if you want to implement this into a university hospital manner. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but we measured it and we have an increase of about five centimeters in leg circumference in six weeks of exercise. Okay. And, this, and this was massive. And uh, yeah, uh, during the same time, we were able to reduce the pain of the patients to such a minimal level that the most often uh, this discussion which I was, which I had with my patients was, why should I get the surgery now? Yeah. Because they so, started- So you're not gonna do this anymore as an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, really, I had, I had to discuss that with them because um, they thought that we have solved the problem, but this is not true. We not solved the problem, we just, 
maybe we were able to by by using more muscle mass or or, Im or improve the neuromuscular activity that some parts of the joint are now more uh, into the motion factor than before so maybe we have changed a little bit the biomechanical parts of the gait this is okay no, because they are using more muscle mass but we not solve the problem of the osteoarthritis yeah yeah um so um, during this discussion, I said that we have now improved your muscle health. And so we can go into the surgery with an improved level of fitness. And so you can use this for your surgery afterwards, uh, for your rehabilitation. Um, so all the patients uh, did the surgery and we saw afterwards that this normal decline in muscle mass and muscle strength was not really evident in our blood flow restriction group. Actually, they were better than the baseline values pre-prehabilitation. So they improved their muscle mass and muscle strength and improved that after surgery as well. So we were able to maintain these enhancements. And I think this is the first study which was able to show this, that not only the pain after TKA surgery was better, also the muscle mass and muscle strength. Um, and, and long term, that was three and six months, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I would love, I would love to do the twelve month measurements, but because of COVID, it was not possible. Um, mm. So the ethical committee said no, it's not allowed to bring the patients into the hospitalized situation if they not have to come. Okay. Um, so therefore, we do not have a twelve month measurement afterwards. Um, but this was quite impressive because it was an endurance exercise with a kind of low load and low, low pressure. pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, in my opinion, if you're using blood flow restriction in in the patient population which has a reduced muscle status, you not need to get to these high pressures. Of course, if you're if you're doing training with a with a sport guy which yeah. wants to yeah. which wants to run one second faster than before, of course, you have to put pressure really high to get the metabolic impact. But if you have a patient which normally just walking around in their apartment and then it's coming the first time to your to your uh, exercise lab you do not need so much pressure to have yeah. that yeah that's, that's, a, that's, that's an important piece endurance, yeah and the endurance stuff we there just isn't really many pressure papers out there for us to know right you know there's a lot yeah. more with the resistance training that we can kind of hang our hat on but almost all these endurance ones were you didn't know the pressure or you know it's just one pressure. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. I, th I think it's a, an important piece, Dr. Franz, too. I mean, because when you think about the the data that we discussed earlier, you know, on the, on the arterial pressures and the venous pressures and in, in the metabolic environment that you're creating, those those data were in a 30% load, a 50% pressure in trained individuals that, that went to failure, you know, and this is a clinical population that we're talking about. Like you said, their, their floor is so much lower that the stimulus to create this adaptation adaptation is, is much lower, but that also means potentially, I would think at least that the metabolic costs and those things that you saw in that catheterization paper are probably lower too, and potentially safer for these population that have these comorbidities that we are kind of concerned about, but you know, we don't have to push them as hard as you got to push a trained individual. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that's you pretty have cool. To. Yeah, you yeah. really, you do not have to if you want to improve the health of your population. You do not have to, to put them into the highest 
intensity, whatever you uh, whatever you want to do, but you do not need it. They they will they will have success if they will start training and if they are able to train. And I think this is one of yeah. the this is one of the biggest positive things of blood flow restriction because of the low load. It's the first time that a lot of patients are able to do exercise. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and what's Get important them going again, and progress it. This is a good clinical paper because your self-reportage, your coos was improved, VAS was improved, and and you had functional measures that were improved. Yeah, your six-minute yeah. walk test, your sit-to-stand, which to the patients, these are what matter. How, how do I feel yeah. overall? And yeah. yeah, totally, totally correct. Because this is what matter, what what really matters afterwards. It's 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 totally okay that they have that they have more muscle mass and that they have more muscle strength. This is from a scientific part. This is totally brilliant. But what right. in medical context, and then the medical world is coming, what really matters is that they have less pain and more functionality, more quality of life, because this is our goal. Yeah. 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 And again, that was 100%. last three, three and six months, still better than that. Yeah. yeah. Prehab, basically. Uh, yeah. We are now doing uh, another study huh, with you, Johnny, as well. Um, we discussed, we do discuss what we want to do. Uh, so now we try to, to do a resistance exercise study to see, okay, which way is maybe the more beneficial one in total knee? Mm -hmm. Is the endurance one okay? Or can we increase the effects by using resistance exercise? So we want a little bit to evaluate what is the best way. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. And again, stepwise, we love it. Yeah. yeah. Get in that baseline. Yeah, it's, well, it's, I, it's the boring way, of course. And a lot of, a lot of people think like, okay, but this is more interesting. Yeah, but if you really want to have a good story and you really want to explain what happens, you have to do small steps in my opinion. Amen. Yeah, well, and if the resistance if the resistance comes out better, great. But now you've set up a very easy protocol where you can say most patients can do this. They can ride a bike right. and they can have unilateral BFR, you know, at, at a lower pressure. That's you can get there. Maybe the resistance one, which Dr. Franz showed. Can get you the next next step, and you can you can throw that out to your patient. You know, let's try yeah. and see which one you can do. It's fantastic. If yeah. if we can get the damn payers to pay for prehab, for yeah. Yeah. I have to say, you know, just anecdotally that you know what you guys saw in this study, I, I experienced treating my patients because I had, you know, and it's like N of two, but I had this experience with a, a patient where she came into me from her general practitioner. And her general practitioner had told her, you know, go see Kyle go, or these guys over there, do some rehab. But, you know, if, if it's not helping, then come back and we'll get you an MRI. Well, I mean, this woman had, you know, a big extension deficit. Um, she was, her knee was clearly arthritic and the GP just didn't catch it, which it's whatever, you know? And I, and I said to her first visit, I'm like, look, I, I don't know that you really need an MRI. I think we can just kind of confirm some things with x-ray. Um, and so she did that. She got to an orthopod, she did that. But, you know, I said to her, I was like, I'd really like to just do some prehab with you with this BFR thing. Cause we had already done a little bit, you know, in the first visit, just sitting at the edge of the table, doing a long arc quad. She's like, Oh my God, I can feel my quad working. Like yeah. I haven't felt that in, I can't even tell you, it always hurts my knee. And I'm like, that's kind of the beauty here. And so we just kind of got lucky and we were able to work with her and her pain post-op, her range of motion post-op, those things were so much better than we typically kind of would expect to see coming in and our ability to kind of progress her exercise post-operatively was better that I just kind of got to that point where 
if I had a private payer that I could get them to do some prehab, I would be like, if you can give me like four weeks, six weeks, I, I think we can actually kind of really improve sort of those early outcomes and the, how you're feeling uh, immediately post-op. And then we just, we discharge you post-op faster than we might. Um, and, it, you know, it seemed to work, but I, again, you're talking, this is my experience. It's like two, three patients, you know, that you actually get to do that with, but um, yeah, but it's working. It's working really. If you, yeah. if you start working with patients which has a problem on their on their on their legs, on their arms, also at the shoulder, for example, and you start using blood flow restriction training, it's it's, it's massive. The effects. As I'm talking to a lot of other surgeons, and they said, like, okay, I cannot imagine that something is working so fast. Mm -hmm. but it's yeah. working. And we, did, we do not understand what really happens there, but something big is then working if the muscle is trained well or it's getting trained well. Um, and all, all the doctors are quite shocked because then they want to, to do it by themselves and then they are smiling all the time. This BFR smile, if it's getting... <laughs> <laughs> BFR smile. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if it's getting <laughs> and, and they feel like... Oh, resting I'm, BFR oh, face. I feel, I feel my legs is this... Then it's yeah. getting fun and um, yeah, it's working. And uh, one uh, one teaser I can I can show you because oh, nice. we, um, we're getting a little bit more deeper into the physiology of the muscle than invasive as than invasive studies in the vessels. And we are now doing a lot of research with intramuscular catheters. So during exercise or maybe in front of the exercise, we put a small catheter into the vasus lateralis muscle. Um, and we were able to get samples, fluid samples from the muscle tissue. We can get out and analyze it. And now we are studying doing research with that. And um, we compared, for example, in the first trial now, uh, the lactate concentrations at the ear in the venous system and measured in the muscle intramuscularly and we saw <laughs> this, is, this is totally insane at the ear it was about too minimal in the arm or in the working limb it was about four to six and in the muscle it was 31 wow. so it's getting we want really to get into the muscle to see what happens there metabolically because if we can a little bit describe what happens there we maybe have the chance to analyze the key the key mechanisms what is really important if we want to train the muscle if we want to um, interfere with atrophy if we want to induce hypertrophy what do we really need about this and of course in a scientific way if you work with athletes this is a total different story but if you work with patients and you know if you're working as a doctor, if you work as physiotherapist, if you work with patients, you know that if we maybe are able to find which key we have to use to get the most beneficial effects, then we can really change a little bit in the, in the medical system. And I don't think that in the next years or next decades, the biggest, the biggest stories about post-operative enhancements are coming from the surgery itself or from the implant or something like this. It has to be to prepare the patients which are receiving surgery. Mm -hmm. 
because we are so highly standardized in all the things which happens in the hospital that we forgot which patients receive this. And if someone is coming to our, to our hospital, which has done sportive activities, no sport activities since 10 years, it's not possible for them to have a really successful rehabilitation in a high quality of life manner. Of course, we will reduce the, we will reduce the, the of course, but we will not get them active into their home again. This is, I don't think that this is possible by only the surgical or only the hospitalized phase. Yeah. So I think that the biggest chances to improve our, our, um, our health system and healthcare is to prepare the patients better. That's awesome. The, the catheter study, um, which sounds badass, that's, that's also one. I thought we might have discussed a little bit in France where, where proximal would be very interesting to see. Um, you know, what's, what's going on at the glute or what's going on at the shoulder with a, yeah. with a intramuscular catheter with this. Cause that's, that's the big question where we just don't have a lot of answers as well. Yeah. It's, it's getting, it's getting really interesting because I, I thought it would be hurting if you have such a catheter inside your muscle yeah. and then doing totally. exercise and actually yeah. it's totally okay. It's totally fine. It's and these catheters are handmade um, and you can leave it in the body for 30 days if you want. Wow. No way. So, That's crazy. Yeah. That's nuts. And so we start now to do some exercise research about it, but we also want to include it now into our hospitalized patients to see yeah. what happens in the muscle pre, peri, and post-operatively awesome. to see what happens there. And in comparison, for example, to muscle biopsy, um, which is showing you one specific one time spot. Mm -hmm. We have the ability to really show how the muscle is reacting all the time. That's cool. So yeah. it's getting deeper and deeper. <laughs> Come on, a ninja, man. That's awesome. <laughs> well, sweet, great, Alex. Great Germans. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's the German style, very structured and always coming up with new technology. That's why y'all have the good Scheiße, cars. Johnny. Yes. <laughs> <Scheiße>, Kyle. <laughs> we bookended it beautifully. That's perfect. Scheiße, right. Johnny. Well, this was with Dr. Alex Franz. Always awesome to talk with him. Um, I didn't mention he's also an uh, editor for a BFR specialty section for um, yeah. Frontiers in Physiology with our other buddy, Dr. Luke Hughes and Professor Berenger. So got some, some all-stars on that. and going to be turning out a lot of cool BFR papers. And also um, you do BFR certification courses for Owens Recovery Science over there in Germany. Yep, so. yep. In, in Germany. So if you want to uh, get all the information in German, please come to Cologne. <laughs> yeah, man, I know. I'd probably, I'd rather take a course from you than me. No <laughs> kidding. Awesome, Alex. Well, I'm yeah, going to let you get some rest. Much. Thanks for being on. And uh, we will talk soon. Hopefully we'll be in person in London in May. So we'll see. Isokinetics, yeah. All right. and then the ACSM next year. Yeah. I have to come to visit you crazy guys. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not going to any dance clubs. No nightclubs for me. <laughs> Just we'll the, see. We'll see. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. Thank you very Thanks. much. Thank right. you. Thanks for coming. That was great. Thanks for listening to the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. Owens Recovery Science is a single source for PTs, OTs, 
ATCs, DCs, MDs, and other medical professionals seeking certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. Find them online at owensrecoveryscience.com. One last thing before you get out of here. Quick moment just to say thanks for listening to the podcast. I think we've probably said it two or three different times now, but we really mean it. Um, but we also want to make sure that you, when you listen to this podcast, that you understand it's it's not medical advice. We, we do our best to make sure the information that we give through this podcast is as accurate as it can be, but it should not be used to treat patients. Those decisions need to be made by a physician, by the appropriate rehab clinician, those people that are licensed to care for that individual in that particular state, nation, etc. And so this is, this also goes for any guests that we bring on the podcast. They're not providing medical advice. This information that you have received here as entertainment should not be taken in that way at all. And it should not also it should neither be used as expert witness or testimony in any sort of legal proceedings. So um, thanks for listening to that and, and understanding that. And we will see you next time. Or wait, we're not going to see. We'll we'll hear. No, we'll listen. You'll you'll hear us. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. <laughs>